When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Paul. 2024. 2024, our first episode after the Polly's. This is exciting. A news show. I feel like we haven't done one of these in like a month. Not because there was a strike, but because we had a bunch of guests and then the Polly's is an important annual tradition. So here we are with some big entertainment headlines. Let's start off with Broadway. Let's start off with Broadway. Broadway had a great holiday week, better than last year between The Lion King. eh. Well, by like like really low numbers and the prices were higher. It really isn't how you slice the data. When I read this article, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what the comparison is. And then I looked at it, I'm like, man, these guys went into the $1,000 range. No, I mean, yeah, it was like on some... (laughs) Yeah, go for it, go for it. Yeah, okay, just to give people context. So like... This was a big thing for Broadway. Obviously, Broadway since COVID has suffered, but it keeps getting the prices are going up. People are coming back. Attendance is high. So this holiday week, Lion King, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child set records across the holiday week. It was the highest weekly gross for the plays uh, for these shows in history. But then you look at it and it's like. (laughs) Lion King did 4.316 million versus 4315 the year before. And I was like, oh, that's a thousand bucks. Right. And Harry Potter was up like 50,000 over last year. So 2.72 million versus 2.67 million 2022. Yeah. Yeah. And so just to be clear, Broadway, I think you could say it's recovering, but because the last week of the year is always the highest grossing week because there's so many tourists. tourists. Yeah. Everyone's in town in New York to like see the decorations. And then ticket prices are always higher to take advantage of that demand. A lot of shows sell out. Sometimes they do extra performances, like nine performances in a week versus typically they might do seven or eight. So you're right. Lion King had a record-setting week by like $1,000 nine performances, an average of $286 per ticket. Which was higher, Harry Potter, right? The, the average which ticket was higher, price yeah. went up a bit. It went up. I mean, and Harry Potter's similar, $212 per ticket average. And that brings its all-time gross to $330 million. Aladdin also had a really strong week. Wicked had a strong week. MJ, I think the MJ had a strong week. But overall, actually, compared to last year, it, the numbers were down, I believe, 12% oh. week to week. Oh. Because there was only 27 shows as opposed to 30. There were 33 ah, shows okay, okay. at the end of 2022. And for the year, 2023 was like maybe 2% lower than 2022. 
But I think it's kind of showing that Broadway's being resilient more so than theatrical has been. Yeah. But it's a smaller denominator altogether. I mean, like Broadway's just it's not the same. Yeah, I mean I mean theatrical I'm trying to even think if besides Iron Claw, which I watched over the holidays, I haven't seen any other movie besides I saw a Jeffrey Wright who is in in American fiction, which I highly recommend to people. Again, more of an art house film. But I haven't gone to the movies to watch something like a Wonka or something like that. yet. Yeah, I think the Q4 box office performance was probably a little softer, which we discussed at the end of last year. You know, Marvel didn't have a hit. Disney really didn't have a hit. And so without those billion-dollar films it's in the holiday quarter, it's, it's tough to hit the numbers that you typically see. We don't talk about Broadway all that often. I know we the final week of the year is always the biggest, so we like to yeah. do a recap. And then in May, Jess and I saw Here Lies Love when it was in previews, yeah, I remember which that. is like the all-Filipino yeah, cast yeah, yeah, yeah. story of— um, The DJ, right? Yeah, the Fatboy Slim. Yeah. And David Byrne did the music. It was fun. It was a dance party. There wasn't an orchestra, which was some controversy, but it was it actually told a really sad and poignant story about the Marcoses and Nino Aquino. So I did see that. I love, I mean, I think the people in Broadway are so talented, like the the singers, the dancers, the actors. I think it's a very great show if you can go. I mean, there's some Broadway buffs. I know that when they're in New York, they see like multiple shows. Yeah. That isn't me, but it's I definitely appreciate the craft. Look, I, I do enjoy Broadway. I mean, I, my problem's always been with the ticket prices, depending on the ones that you wanted to see. Like, Adair Evan Hansen or Hamilton back in the day were so expensive. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, because you had to buy two separate tickets. Now I believe it's one ticket because the yeah, show it's is so long. been one for, for like a year and a half now. Yeah, it used to be where it's like seven hours. You'd buy two tickets, you'd take a break. But I really, like, the last one I saw was MJ the Musical, and that was sometime, I think, in the last, like, the summer before last, and it was incredible. And uh, yeah, I'd like to go back. I'd like to see more plays. So good for Broadway. Yeah, we saw Aladdin about, let's say 13, 14 months ago, and it was awesome. Nice. You know, I yeah. remember you're just like singing the songs. You get you get really swept up in it. So good for them. Let's switch gears uh, to this topic that never ends. Uh, Jonathan Majors, <laughs> yeah. we've discussed ad nauseum was convicted of assault and harassment. So the MCU is moving on. Unclear whether they are terminating him or whether they had an option that they're choosing just not to exercise. But we've talked about this extensively. He was Kang in Ant-Man Quantumania and in Loki season one, Loki season two. And a huge part, he was playing Kang, who is the villain in Avengers five and six. So that's a relatively large part of the MCU, similar to what Thanos was in Avengers 3 and 4 and, you know, sort of previewed before that. And so there's been a lot of discussion about what's Marvel going to do. Are they going to recast and go with Kang or are they going to completely redo the scripts to have a different villain instead? Maybe like Doctor Doom or someone like that. So I don't think Marvel's taken a position one way or another, but the rumors are that they're going to recast and it surfaced this week that the leading candidate is, or one of the leading candidates, is uh, Coleman Domingo, who... I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He's in Fear of the Walking Dead. He's like 20 years older than Jonathan Majors, but you know he's an Emmy winner. He's getting Oscar buzz for Rustin, and people are excited about. It. So I know him from Euphoria. Yes, and I haven't seen him in the other things, but in Euphoria, he's really good. And I I like the idea of bringing a seasoned actor in. This guy's obviously he's already won an Emmy. For Euphoria, he's been nominated for other awards. He was in If Beale Street Could Talk. Yep. Rustin, the the Color Purple remake. 
Euphoria, of course. I was like looking through these other ones. I'm like, Transformers, Rise of the Beast. Ah, that was actually a good one. I enjoyed that one. But I think that it's the right choice to find someone who, like Jonathan Majors, had this like really high pedigree acting. I think it's okay at this point. Like, we're not so in, like, Jonathan Majors was really impressive in Loki. I think the other movies have been kind of forgotten at this point. And if you don't watch Loki, then you don't really care. So I don't, I think it's an okay, like, I don't think people are going to really mind a, a, a change in an actor. And I think generally the crowd really likes the storyline for Kang. So it would be too much of a risk to do something different. Yeah. I think, I think completely redoing the scripts and take having a different villain. I don't know how much, whether that's minor surgery or major surgery, I think that sort of depends. But uh, that's a big move. And like you said, it's not like uh, Jonathan Majors, as talented as he is, it's not like he his performances are irreplaceable, I guess, or whatever. He's Yes. And so, and Kang has variants. So I guess they can maybe play on that. I, like, I think this that's 100% true. The, the Kang yeah. variant thing plays a huge point. The, the fact that there could actually be multiple actors playing Kang. Just like Loki had, there's different actors playing different versions of Loki. Matt Damon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One interesting thing I was thinking about was when they introduced Thanos in Guardians of the Galaxy to introduce him into the Infinity Stone saga. I believe the earliest version of him was CGI anyways. And then Josh Brolin played a more like bigger role in it. So I think we're kind of in the same timeline here. Like granted, he had that standalone movie with Ant-Man, but very forgettable movie. So I, I don't think it's that big of a risk. The other person I was honestly thinking about was Sterling K. Brown. And the only reason I say that is because Sterling K. Brown was an American fiction. For those who don't know, Sterling K. Brown became famous from the show This Is Us. He was then in American Fiction, which is with Jeffrey Wright. He was in Black Panther. If you all remember in Black Panther, he plays Najobu who's the brother of T'Challa's uncle. Anyways, I don't know. I think because I just saw him in American fiction. It's a little attenuated, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think you're like, okay, maybe that. You're working your way down the <laughs> cast list on Black Panther. Um, yeah, I mean, I really hadn't thought about it. That's not my skill set. Yeah. I guess, you know, Jonathan Boyega said he didn't want to be Kang. Like, he was like, just anyone that throws my name in the ring like I'm not interested but you know I don't I don't know who'd be a good fit Majors is a tough act to follow in that regard but I guess Coleman Domingo's as good as any yeah that's what I'm saying like a really high quality pedigreed actor is the right way to go about it so yeah let's see what ends up happening there but I mean we're gonna need a Kang so they have some time I don't think they've said whether I mean it seems like they're gonna go with a new Kang but I guess they could in theory not but it's a lot more work a lot more work. And that's almost like, yeah. I feel like that's a complete like, okay, let's, are we rebooting the MCU because we had a couple of issues here? No, because I think you can still continue from where you left off after Homecoming and Endgame and you're, you're still in like an okay zone. Some things didn't work out. Let's get back on track. Well, if, if anyone's got suggestions, let us know. We'd like to hear. <laughs> yeah, maybe they should consult with me and I'd happily give them my thoughts on, on how they should do this. Let's take a quick break and come back with discussion about Paramount doing a deal. So, Mesh, this is pretty wild stuff. And this has been one of the biggest stories in the industry, basically, for... I guess it was somewhat of a secret for the past couple months. 
It's not a secret that Paramount has seen better days financially, but at the end of December 2023, it surfaced that Dave Zaslov, who's running Warner Discovery, had lunch with Bob Backish in New York, and they were talking about potentially combining Paramount and Warner Brothers Discovery. If you know, Warner Brothers Discovery were combined a couple of years ago, I think April 2022. And so that deal has like a two-year waiting period before they can make another acquisition. So that would expire in April. But Paramount, for as a snapshot, it's owned by National Amusements, Inc., which controls 80% of the voting shares and has just 10% of the equity in Paramount Global. That's controlled by Sherry Redstone, who's the daughter of Sumner Redstone, who's the son of the founder of National Amusements. So they have control over Paramount. Paramount Global, which used to be Viacom CBS, has a ton of properties and brands. They have Viacom, which owns MTV, VH1, BET, Comedy Central. They have CBS, which is the CBS television network, broadcast station, CBS News, sports. They have CW, Showtime, Pluto TV. So it's really a multimedia, multinational conglomerate, but it's fallen on hard times. So their stock was valued at, I mean, basically their market cap was like $30 billion in 2019 when CBS and Viacom merged after being separated. And now it's less than a third of that. And investors are really concerned about the future viability of Paramount Global because of a lot of factors. Um, One, a big part of their revenue is linear television fees, and those cable subscription fees are declining due to cord cutting. The ad revenue market is also not as robust as it was. They're putting a ton of money into Paramount Plus, and it's not necessarily profitable. And the movies, outside of a few exceptions, haven't really been performing. So on top of that, so like these are just general media industry struggles, which all happen to be coinciding around the same time. They also have a ton of debt. And from what I understand about the debt was that the debt was manageable when they were making a bunch of money from their linear business. And then the moment they got into streaming, all that cash went into that. And that's just cost them a ton more money. And so now the debt is really piling on, it seems. Yeah. And if you look at the ratio, I mean, I mean, it was really weird. If you look at their stock chart, there was one point during the pandemic, there's, I know it was just for like a day, but their shares were like $97. Now they're $9. So, uh, and we talked about this way, way back in episode 16, Warren Buffett put $2.6 billion into, you know, he bought $2.6 billion in stock in Q1 2022. And Warren Buffett is a, you know, very savvy, seasoned investor. He's not right all the time. And so far, his shares have fallen in value by 50%. And he's been a critic about the fact that Paramount cut their dividend last year. Yes. He thinks that streaming should be done by a small group of people but right now there's too many competitors and they're all competing on price. So it's either less competitors or a higher price. And he's just making like, every, he's like, no one wants to like call it quits or throw the towel in. So they're all just spending a ton of money to compete with each other. And some people in this case, like Paramount are having a, a harder time than your Netflixes, Disney's, et cetera, of the world, given that, you know, they're struggling a bit financially. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, Warren Buffett, he probably thought he was buying at the bottom in 2022 when he did. And it's just gone lower than that. And now he's realizing, hey, like streaming has potentially endless costs and you really don't know what the revenue is. And there's no contracts, right, that subscribers have to sign. So they can leave, they can rejoin, they can leave, they can rejoin. It's just not really a model that works as well as linear television. And people thought it would, at at some point a couple of years ago, people thought it would be better than linear television, which 
it doesn't seem to be, at least from a business yes. perspective, in yes. terms of profitability, it may be a better user experience. I, I mean, I think that the jury's still out. Yeah, that one. 100%. But Paramount is a very strong legacy brand, right? It's the, one of the oldest studios N- of all 1912, time. 1912, right? 1912. So really, like, at the dawn of the movie era, and they have a ton of brands, a ton of IP. So if you're Sherry Redstone, it's like, if I don't sell now, I, what if there's nothing there? Like, what if the debt become such a large yeah. percentage of the of the market cap that I have nothing left. So she's eager to do a deal. Like preserve her wealth, basically, now. Yeah, to pivot, right? Yeah. She's like, okay, this business, there's going to be winners and losers and consolidation, and I think she wants to get out now. Well, we're in a different business now, because I think, to your point, back when it was like, there's linear TV and there's movies. And just to give people an example, like Paramount back in the day was known for The Godfather, Titanic, Forrest Gump, Indiana Jones. And there's a bunch of franchises they work with, given they work with Skydance or there's some Mission Impossible, Mission Transformers. Impossible. Yeah. Star Trek. G.I. Joe. Yeah. Star Trek. And I think this is like back to when we think about Succession season two, the theme around technology coming in. And then there's like these media businesses and there's this IP. But like one, it's just a different world that we live in. And it's a completely different animal and action and the things that you have to think about, the costs associated. And so this kind of reminds me of that. Like in her case, she's sitting there and be like, how do I do I just get out now versus like try to compete? I mean, they've been trying. They're still trying to compete. They bought Pluto in 2019, which is a fast platform. That seems like a good acquisition for them. But analysts don't really see a clear path forward for Paramount. It's not like you do X, Y, Z, and boom, you're going to be competitive with Netflix. And a lot of its competitors are bigger and have more resources. And then if you add the tech angle, right, like like we talked about in the polys, Apple, Apple TV Plus is a fraction of the overall market value of the company. Whether it's profitable or not, I mean, they still have a lot of other very profitable business segments. Netflix is doing well. Disney's a part of a much bigger platform. Comcast has Peacock. And so like it's like, who are they competing with and would it make sense for them to be bought by someone? So there's a business justification in that if they were bought by a bigger company like a Comcast or a Warner Brothers, then the dangerous S word, which is synergies, which means you lay off a bunch of people and you save money that way. But that doesn't really get you growth. It just cuts costs. It may be delaying the inevitable. But there are a lot of industry players who are interested in Paramount, and they think maybe they can buy something at a bargain price. And that would be Dave Zaslov, who we talked about, runs Warner Discovery. Dave Ellison, who's Larry Ellison's son, the founder of Oracle, who runs Skydance Media. They've been a production company on a bunch of Paramount films, notably Mission Impossible and some Transformers. Star Trek. Star Trek. And then you have Jerry Cardinal, who is Redbird Capital. That's a sports and media-focused, TMT-focused private equity. They're very heavy in sports. And he's a former Goldman Sachs banker. He's also a former Rhodes Scholar. He has a very keen eye for this space. But if you're selling to him, he's going to get value, right? Yeah, but yeah, so yeah. yeah. You're, you're not you're making be, uh, He wants a deal. Right. Yeah, exactly. He's not necessarily giving away the farm. And then, like we said, Comcast is a $175 billion company. The CEO is Brian Roberts, who grew his dad's regional cable company into this like massive conglomerate. They bought NBC. They have Sky. They were in the bidding for Fox before Fox sold to Disney. So they might be in acquisition mode. I don't know if Paramount makes sense because they already have a lot of the same properties. 
but you never know. I mean, it might make Peacock a more compelling consumer offering if you put Paramount Plus in there. Yeah. And then there's Warren Buffett, who's just like, hey, maybe he wants out. I don't know. He's got enough money to buy the company, but I don't know if he wants to own it. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if he's looking at this and being like, okay, like there's so many people involved on this deal that can make this happen. And there's a lot of people that could benefit from it. And to your point, like there's these assets that could really be helpful as we start consolidating in the space. I know the way I feel about as a consumer in Paramount, like I love some of their assets, but it just doesn't make sense to me as a consumer, as a standalone app. Like it makes much more sense that this was part of like an existing app that I had. And like, I'm like, oh great, Paramount's. It's kind of like, you know, when, with Max, you have, you know, HBO assets within that. That's how, it, it just makes sense that someone's gonna gobble this up. Who? Unclear. But it seems that the the value is really more, there's some IP, but it's around like CBS and sports. Yeah, well, so the thing with sports is they don't own the sports. Right. So that's a telecast right, and that's very expensive. And right. the cost for that is going up and up and up. So you wouldn't necessarily buy a company just to have a couple years of telecast rights, which are just going to get renegotiated mm. by the leagues okay. and teams. But they do own the stations. And so maybe if you're Warner Brothers Discovery and they don't currently have stations the way Disney owns ABC. Right, 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 right. Maybe it makes sense for them to get the CBS and CW stations through doing a deal like that. At a discount. Warner Brothers Discovery is already heavy into sports, basketball and TNT, and they don't really have an NFL presence right now, but they would if they got this, at least temporarily. Maybe it makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. It just seems like, and I think the analysts are saying, more of the same isn't going to solve a lot of these legacy issues. So yes, you can save some costs, but it's not transformative. And I think there's also this entrenched, like Paramount is a very proud company because of its history. Yeah, I don't know if the people Stripped who work parts. for Paramount want to be yeah, sold for scrap. Yeah, so, and that, like you said, Paramount's got a lot of great properties, notably, you know, think of South Park and through Comedy Central, Transformers, we listed a bunch, Mission Impossible. And they could make the decision that Sony made, which is like, we don't need to have our own app and platform, yeah. but what we can do is license shows to other platforms. Totally. Right. And that would, I think, require an ego check because I think they do view themselves as a major player. And I don't know that they would only want to be a licensor, but you never know. And it might make sense. Uh, I mean, I think when you come, when it comes down to like, hey, do you want to like, conserve your billions of dollars that you know your family is you know built and created and this could continue just to keep going down 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 if you keep investing into a streaming service i think that's what it comes down to it seems like that's going to come it's going to be a lot of folks thinking the same way if i'm them that seems like such a better business deal like license your stuff to the best platform that you think you're going that's going to win don't take the costs and start making a lot of money. Again. Well, you still have the cost. You don't have the cost of operating the platform, but you have the cost of making the content, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't have the cost of like investing specifically in your own streaming platform and managing that and acquiring customers, et cetera. Right. And I think it would be, it's one thing if, if we had a crystal ball that said in 2025, Paramount Plus would be profitable and then it would grow by X percent year after year yeah. after year, you know, but no one has that. And then- no, no, no. You just don't want to throw good money after bad. But part of me is also like, okay, well, if the values decline this much in the past couple of years, it's tough to sell. I mean, yes, you're preserving what you can, but it's like, damn, this would have been a much bigger check a couple of years ago. And that's the thing. I think you could keep thinking about the past like that. And you, the ego is the thing that's going to be like, well, if it was that price, it'll go back up. That's the thing that gets you 
a much lower into a much lower position. Right. Especially when you're when you have expensive debt service in in the interim. Yeah, it, it, exactly. I think at that point you're like, okay, who do I sell to for some cash now and maybe I get some equity upside in this other company that buys us and there's some kind of turnaround or maybe I'm just happy with my few billion. It really reminds like Succession season two is very much this story. Right. It is. And this is very much about what Sherry Redstone wants to do. But, you know, there's thousands of people, uh, people whose involved. jobs are going to be yes. impacted. But we'll keep you posted. Yeah. I mean, yes, I think this is a good um, a good breakdown of this. But I think the theme for this year is going to be like who are going to be the big players to just survive. And, and, and maybe there's only like three platforms. So let's take a break and let's get back and. Talk about Pat McAfee, Aaron Rodgers, and Jimmy Kimmel. Okay, so Paul, last week there was a a comment made by Aaron Rodgers, New York Jets quarterback on Pat McAfee's show, which is an ESPN show, where they were talking about this Epstein list that all the names are going to be coming out of all the people that traveled with him. And he made a quote unquote joke about Jimmy Kimmel's name going to be on this list. And then Jimmy Kimmel was actually pretty upset about this and went to Instagram and wrote Aaron Rodgers, If you continue going down this path, you know, there might be some type of legal action here. So he actually posted that on X. I don't know if it's, oh, sorry, it's that different, but yeah. he, he called him and, an a-hole with two A's because yeah. Aaron has two A's <laughs> and he threatened legal action if he persisted in creating these like defamatory statements. Aaron Rodgers was a longtime quarterback for the Packers, yep. four-time NFL MVP, one-time Super Bowl winner. He was traded to the Jets and he took a salary cut last year, but he got injured in his first game. So he hasn't really played for the Jets in any meaningful capacity and he's 40. So, you know, who knows how much gas he has left in the tank as an NFL player, given how brutal the sport is. But he is also a media presence. He's on Pat McAfee's show every Tuesday. He's been paid a million dollars just on that alone. Pat McAfee, as you said, he's a former punter, become media kingpin. He got something like between 80 and $100 million for a five-year deal from ESPN to bring his audio and, and video podcast to ESPN and then to participate on other ESPN shows. And ESPN lets him be him, right? Yeah. He's wearing like um, a wife beater. He is just authentic. He hasn't changed his show since he's been since he's done his deal with ESPN. When you see it, you don't think it's an ESPN show. You assume it's like a YouTube show that he's allowed to do whatever right. he wants, which is part of right. the appeal. So I'm assuming part of his deal was like creative control and not being required to change who he is yeah. because that's what's made him successful. And ESPN, and by the way, at the time they gave him that deal, they were doing a lot of layoffs and cost cutting. So they viewed this as a way to grow their audience and pivoting from what they had been doing for the past X amount of years. So anyway, he's friends with Aaron Rodgers. He has him on the show. What you didn't mention is that back in 2021, Jimmy Kimmel called out Aaron Rodgers for claiming to be vaccinated against COVID when he wasn't yes. and said it, the only thing worse than not getting vaccinated is like not being vaccinated and lying about yes. it because then you're exposing people in close quarters and blah, blah, blah. So Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel have this beef, whether it's like real or fake or whatever. They've been at odds for a couple of years. And then in the segment on the Pat McAfee show, I don't even know how they got onto the Epstein thing. I just think his co-host, AJ Hawk, brought it up saying talking about the Epstein list because that is supposed to be revealed soon or yes. imminently. 
And Aaron Rodgers said, oh, there's a lot of people that don't want that to come out, including Jimmy Kimmel or something like that. And so it's not clear if it was factual or if it was a joke. But Jimmy Kimmel, as you said, responded very defensively and threatened legal action. Well, and well said, it almost felt like a, a legal, like it wasn't a formal legal action, but it was like he was kind of not only publicly acknowledging, hey, I have no part in this, but, you know. I will do this to you in the future. Like if you're Aaron Rodgers, are you freaking out or are you like, oh, whatever, right? But uh, I've got to imagine if you're Pat McAfee, this happened on your show, you're like, oh no, like this isn't great because like Kimmel's on ABC, they're on ESPN. Like this is kind of a, this is this is not an ideal situation to be in. Well, we, let's do like the pop culture angle and then the legal angle. So like the pop culture angle, if it gets people talking about the show sure. and brings expands the audience, then so be it. I mean, Aaron Rodgers hasn't played this season. The Jets are not in contention, so he maybe will play next year. But like I said, there's no guarantees. So he may become a media talking head in the future. That may be his next career. It seemed to me like just as a from a pop culture side of things, like his statement was really more of like kind of like an insult and not intended to be a factual statement like Jimmy Kimmel is associated with Jeffrey Epstein, although yeah. it's a gray area kind of thing. I always have this weird reaction when I see that comedians or people who came up as comedians can't take Taking jokes. Joke. Yeah. And like they when they have very thin skin and I mean, Jimmy Kimmel has he was on The Man Show. He's appeared in blackface. He did like the Carl Malone thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh he, my God. He, he makes a living sort of telling jokes. So when he reacted this way, I felt a little like, okay, that's an overreaction. But I guess technically he, he is in, you know, he's within his rights to say that. That's the thing. I mean, the legal side of it. Yes, you're right. ESPN and ABC are under common control, part of Disney. I'm sure Disney doesn't want these two talented people fighting. Pat McAfee's trying to just get out of it. He's like, hey, yeah. you know, I, I didn't apologize. know this was going to happen. Part of what we do is like, you know, we're just vibing in the moment. We're not necessarily scripting anything. I'm pretty sure Aaron was just like BSing and didn't think anything of it. And I'm sorry that Jimmy reacted that way. Hopefully they can just like quash this and move on. That was Pat McAfee's statement. As far as I know, like the legal foundation, Jimmy Kimmel is a public figure to sort of get into what he would have to prove. I mean, in order to make a defamation case, he would have to prove this would be uh, slander because it was spoken. He'd have to prove that Aaron Rodgers publicly made a false statement that was published, communicated to a third person that was done. I think because Jimmy Kimmel's a celebrity, he would have to prove that Aaron Rodgers acted with actual malice, meaning he knew the statement was false when he made it and he knew it would be damaging. Oh, wow. And then That's he hard. also has to prove that as a result of Aaron Rodgers' statement that Jimmy Kimmel was harmed financially. So yeah. he lost work, his career trajectory was tanked, like someone was going to hire him for something, and then they chose not to because he was associated with Epstein. Aaron Rodgers has a bunch of defenses to this, number one being that he was just kidding, yeah. number two being that basically like there's no harm to this. Like, okay, maybe I wasn't kidding, but what's the harm? Jimmy Kimmel's a celebrity. He's still a celebrity. He's still hosting stuff. He still has his show. He wasn't financially harmed. That's a gray area. I mean, it's not the sort of thing you want to be in a jury arguing about what damages are. You would rather just see this thing go away. But there's a tension between the First Amendment. We want people to be able to have free speech and say what they want and not be you know, afraid of consequences from the government from them saying whatever. But at the same time, you don't want people wildly throwing accusations out that are harmful to other people. Well, especially a clip like that, 
you know, I mean, it's more like the Epstein thing, human trafficking. You, 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 you're, you're probably, I want to stay away from this, especially when a clip like that will get cut up and go viral on TikTok and, and X and Instagram and Reels, you name it. Kimmel's probably like, yeah, I can't really take a joke. Let me just kind of put this out there so people can. Yeah, I mean, he could also say like Aaron Rodgers, uh, stick to your day job. Your comedy career is going nowhere or something. Yeah, I think he could have done it a little less like, aggressively like i'm coming after you yeah like to say publicly i'm gonna come after you in court you could have texted him he could have been like ha, ah, nice joke lame and then texting him being like dude what are you doing yeah or had his attorney send like a cease and desist or have make pat mcafee issue uh you know uh a clarifying or, or recant the statement or whatever i mean there's a lot of options but i think he was just like hey i want to get in front of this um he obviously took it very seriously and and reacted quickly but I think Aaron Rodgers would probably say he was kidding or that there were no damages and and try to avoid liability that way. But yeah, I mean, they have beef. <laughs> yeah. Look, if anything, they did a good job to let everyone know they have beef and now they're both like in the news. So they did their right. they did their job. They're both relevant at least for the next week or so. But yeah, I think that's a good breakdown, Paul. It seems really hard to prove something like slander in that case then? Well, we talked about this. Uh, it is a hard thing to prove, but in the context of Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, he won. Yeah. And he was able to prove that Amber Heard defamed him. And that's pretty rare. But then again, she wrote an article about how abusive he was and he claims he never abused her. So And he legit bit lost like roles and Correct. endorsements yeah. because of everything that was coming out about him by her. Right. And so in order for this Jimmy Kimmel thing, in order for his argument to have weight and legal consequence, you would have to let this play out a little and people would have to start speculating, hey, was he really involved with Epstein? And then his career would have to tank and there would then he could say he has a pretty strong case. Yeah. But in this, at this moment, when he shut it off that quickly, Aaron Rodgers can say, hey man, I was just kidding. Like, yeah, but yeah. I'm sorry. Well, Paul, great show. I, uh, I really actually enjoyed both breakdowns. And we'll keep people posted, excited to start 2024. That's our show for this week, folks. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Better Call Paul, the podcast. Follow me on X at Mesh Lakani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Hit us up with your Kang ideas. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everyone. See you.